Welcome to We Are Teachers, where you will hear conversations around the realities of teaching in the world today. I am Hazel Pulley. I'm the CEO of Excelsior Multi Academy Trust in Birmingham. It's great to have Andy Moffitt with us today. And Andy has done a good deal of work with teaching children. He's led a unit for children who are displaying challenging behaviour. In fact, a bit of a passion of mine that I was doing similar work at the same time. And we really got to work together on finding some good solutions. But why teaching for you, Andy? Why, why did you get into this lark? Good morning, Hazel. It's, it's good to be here today. So um, why teaching? So I was never going to be a teacher. I wanted to work in a children's home, actually. Um, I had an image of what that would be like. I think a sort of in, in a Blyton type image of you know, um, it's all being lovely and, you know, rose tinted. And um, then I worked at a children's home and it was absolutely awful. <laughs> it was so difficult and just not what I expected at all. And you know, I had very little experience and just, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing really. And I lasted for about two months um, and I thought, oh, what do I do now? And um, a friend of mine actually said, well, why don't you just work as a TA? Because, you know, that, 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 I mean, you'd be great. and Teaching assistant. Teaching assistant, yeah, uh, in Derby. And I remember I knew from the first, after two weeks, that I had to be a teacher. You know, I just, I, I just knew this, that this was, and I applied for a pre-UCE in Derby and um, got on a, a, a course. And, and that, was, that was the start. So long journey there, wasn't it? Getting in, then working with children with challenging behaviour. So when, just thinking of those children, because you work with them for some time. And even now, I know they're the ones who make you smile and sometimes get you into work each day. So what is it that you like about working with children who, you know, really can be hard work? Yes, I, I did always know, know that I wanted to work with um, uh, EBD uh, children. Before I became a student, I worked in a summer camp uh, in London, it was in Brixton, and it was for children on the at-risk register. And uh, we were there for all summer and we, used, we were divided into little huts. And I had, uh, with three adults, we had 12 children uh, and, we, and, we, and we lived with them for 10 days. And then we took them on a, on a big Dodecker bus back to Bristol and picked up the next 12 and brought them back. It's like a sort of outward bound type place, abseiling and camping and stuff. And I just absolutely loved this. I did it for two years running through the, through the summer. And that's really what gave me the bug for working with children with difficulties you know and building relationships and really seeing children blossom under a nurturing atmosphere but also if I'm honest I also liked the teamwork that I was experiencing with the staff and and that was a bug as well you know because because in that environment you really needed a good solid team supporting each other um and I think in an EBD setting in particular, you do get that often, you know, because people really need each other. So when I first decided to become a teacher, I went to a behaviour unit in Derby. And I said, how do I get to work here? And they said, you need to be a teacher and uh, you need to work five years in a mainstream school and then you have to specialise. So that was the route that I wanted, but it actually wasn't five years because of my children's home experience. I was a youth worker for a bit as well. Um, I, I did it after a couple of years. Right. So now you're in class and you've got some children, as many, many teachers will have, that display some challenging behaviour. And, and sometimes the word is no. Or, you know, there are those. I've experienced it myself many a time who just leave the classroom. What 
what's it like dealing with them within the whole mix of all those fab kids? Yeah, so it's all about relationships, isn't it? And, and I always find, um, uh, and I've done this throughout my career, really, it's about how do you avoid confrontation? So what do you do to find a solution? Because one solution might be just to shout, and some teachers do do that, and sometimes, you know, that um, that works, but it's not really a solution, is it? You know, it's not a solution, Um You've got to be a way to engage with children and get them to respond to you. So, so it's all about children knowing that you care. That's what it is. Children know that you care and that you're looking out for them. So you've got to, you know, you've got to find little things to ask them about when they come in in the morning and um, you've got to remember things. I literally write notes about the children in my class have little notes that I say, ask this one about his football, ask this one about her sister. One of them likes Lego. Ask this one about Lego. You know, so it's about remembering things you can ask children about and build those relationships with. I I think that's really interesting. And that shows what tells me the sort of teacher you are. And I know you very well. And I see that in your practice with staff as well. It's really interesting. That it's that. Mm. genuine care isn't it for people children and building it through relationships I've seen it I had a child um, who would not come into my class and would sit outside with his head with a hood of the pullover you know of his hoodie pulled right over him and it and I did that it was just drip feeding wasn't it that the minute that hood came down I could have climbed mountains It, it it it's an amazing feeling yeah yeah, and I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Paul Dix and a Paul Dix book. And there's a chapter in there where he talks about, um, he talks about a child swearing at him um, every day. And he talks about not knowing how to deal with it and wanting this swearing to stop. But like, how do you, and so he's, if I remember correctly, his solution was to just ignore it and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. And eventually the child stopped. And I had this in a class recently where each morning when I call and register, a child refused to say, good morning, Mr. Moffat. So they all say, morning, Mr. Moffat. But this child just say, morning. I'd always go, morning who? And I go, oh, Mr. Moffat. And every morning this would happen. Now, what do you do about that? Because, you know, the child knows what they're doing. You know, the child can say, morning, Mr. Moffat. They choose not to. And, they, and they're choosing to they're, they're trying to push your buttons so how do you deal with that and I did struggle with it for a bit because you know it was annoying me that this child every morning was not saying it so I just thought well I just need to keep going I, just, I, I won't say anything I'll just keep going keep going and keep going and it took about three weeks but now they always say morning Mr Moffat because it's about that perseverance isn't it and look at the bigger picture and just having confidence that you're going to find a way through and you keep going. But it's great when you come through. It's absolutely brilliant. That's just the gem of being a teacher, a teaching assistant, even support staff in school who are not in that classroom all the time when they can make that breakthrough. Paul Dix, now I've read that book. It's a really good book, isn't it? And there are some generalised behaviours and patterns of um, activity that he really pushes. For example, Hot Chop Friday. 
I just love that. Yes. Because, well, there's, there's yes. fairness there, isn't it? How, how does it work in your present school? So I like the idea of, um, uh, I think actually it's a slightly deviating from Paulitz's book. Um, I like the idea of, of a hot chocolate being quite random. So everyone gets hot chocolate nomination if they go over and above. So, um, so throughout the day, I award hot chocolate nominations to children, you know, publicly who, you know, are making, really making an effort, but also with their, their behaviour, not just their, it's not, not, not really for good work, it's more for behaviour and attitude. But then there's a question about, so, so you say, let's say in your class, you've got 20 tickets in the box, 20 nominations. So how do you decide who gets the prize? You can't, all 20 can't have it. It's really got to be one child per class that gets the, the hot chocolate prize. So how do you decide who gets that prize? And I, I think there's different ideas about this. I think I, I, I could be wrong. I think in the book, it's just that you... Random. Is it, they're saying random because that, that's how I think yeah. you should do it. I have been in schools where where the, where the teachers decide you know, to get, have a little meeting, decide who how, how to how mm. to do it, who, who, who gets it. I think it's mm. got too random, and that and it could be that the same child gets it every week. Well, that's fine because that that's life, isn't it? And it's a life skill to be able to lose, um, and to be able to lose graciously. And you know, you might end up through the end of the year actually never getting the prize. But the nomination is enough, um, you know, and that's why, it, it, uh, you know, at a school where we're now, at Green Meadow School, we know we have the nominations are in two parts. And the first part goes home to the parents. So the parents know that the nomination has been, has been received. And the other part goes in the hot chocolate box, you know, to be picked out at random. Um, so I think the random thing is very important. And I think children, I think, it's a, I think it's a good skill for children to have to be excited about possibly winning but you know we don't win all the time no but I think throughout that you, there is a, a thread of fairness isn't there because you've all got the same chance you, you you're delighted yes. with the nomination you can celebrate that I, I you know I was seen that's what it's about I was seen to be making those great choices fabulous and everybody yeah. can get that but the fairness is coming through that well we can only have one hot chocolate how are we going to do it I really like that and uh, fairness yeah. is, and equality has also been a, a thread in your teaching for some time and life, hasn't it, Andy? And I think when you're in, in yeah. particularly working in that leadership, um, that unit for challenging children, equality was foremost at your mind, wasn't it? What, what was that experience yes. like for you? So I've worked in a number of units. I've worked in, a, so, so the first behaviour unit I worked in was a, was a unit attached to a mainstream school where children had been excluded, and uh, our, our, our idea was to was to reintegrate them in, back into school. I was in Birmingham. Then I worked in Coventry for about seven years in a nurture group, and I think actually that was what informed my practice more than any mm. setting about behaviour. You know, I didn't really know about nurture groups before I went and worked in one, but I was really taken with this idea of of you know what nurture is. And, um, and, and children coming into school um, with different experiences and different baggage and just that, that concentration of, of, of relationships that I think in my previous role, I hadn't really realised yet. I think, I think in my previous, my first behaviour unit I worked in, it was very much more quite, um, right, this is how you behave. You're going to fit in, you're going to do it, you know, and there'll be consequences if you don't, which, you know, is a way of working and some, that's how some people work, you know, but a nurture group stepped back from that and asked, and this is this line I remember uh, that all behavior, all behavior is communication. 
which is a really good line. Um, you know, what does that mean? You know, when a child's having a tantrum, is it just that they need to just stop it? Or is it that we need to get behind that and work out, well, what is this about? What are they trying to tell me? You know, and how can I work with them to reduce it, the likelihood of happening again? So, and then the third uh, unit I worked in was I was managing it. So that was, that was back to a behavior unit, but a completely different setup from the, my first one, because this time I used the nurturing principles in the behavior mm. uh, unit. And again, that was children that had been excluded and we were reintegrating them back into our, uh, uh, um, back into school. So I think that was probably the most successful one that I did because I was able to use nurturing principles that I picked up in the nurture group. That's amazing that you did that. And, and it's lovely that you could carry to mix it up. I've used better... Um techniques and processes and and uh, from the nurture group and, and use the box soil analysis as too where it can help you try and unpick and also can, what's what's mm-hmm. probably struggling the child's struggling with and also you can help you plan can't you and then you can assess which i think is quite important really that we do see see progress there and i use and i used to get very hooked up into transaction analysis that when i describe that as a pizza and there's a slice missing for this child. And there always is going to be that slice missing for the child. And they, they challenge it and they chase it, don't they? They're looking for that bit that wasn't there for them at some time. And how, how do we fill that gap for them? I know we say we can't always, but how do we try to help them get past that gap? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's the, that's the key, yeah. isn't it, to, to everything that we do? You know, and it's about not trying to fit round pegs into square holes. Um, you know, we've got to we've got to recognise where the children are, and then and, and then work from that. So, and it's about being inventive. And what's um, you know, I was always lucky to work with uh, head teachers who were willing to let me take risks. You know, and so for example, in in actually in a nurture group thing, I, I was doing a, a masters at the time on a on EBD. And um, I wanted to do a project using gardening. And the idea was that you used gardening to work with these children um, uh, because I really like the idea of a child recognising that if I nurture this plant, if I water it and look after it, it will grow and provide me with food. But if I don't look after it and put time into it, then it, it won't. Um, so, you know, that was a really that, that was a really successful sort of intervention. Mm-hmm. I can remember there's one child um, who was very, very, um, you know, quite desperate, really, um, you know, and very difficult. But I can remember one of the best things I ever did with him was grow potatoes. And I can remember vividly him digging up his first potato and then us cooking it and eating it, you know, and, and he'd made that potato, you know. Um, so... Yeah, it's about finding, just finding little niches, really. It's finding, finding ways to communicate and to build that relationship. It sounds fabulous because, to me, my work in school, and I, I think yours and many, many teachers, is to avoid that ex- final exclusion. That permanent exclusion, yes. to me, I, it, it still upsets me desperately. It's like a, um, a death knell to your education and a huge hit on your future do you yes. think in secondary school we're doing enough to avoid this permanent exclusion say at age 13 12 
you know, when we know it's a crucial time for children, do you think we need a rethink? Well, well, I'm very conscious as, as a primary school practitioner of, uh, you know, advising secondary schools on how to do it. However, I have been to, you know, especially when I was doing, uh, I've done behaviour training in, in, in the past and led sessions. And people have often said that, um, secondary school practitioners have often said that they, they wanted to learn from primary school practitioners about stepping back and about a way to, you know, a, a way to look at their behaviour. Um because I think maybe secondary schools are so big, a lot of them, that it, maybe it's quite hard to have that, you know, relationship and that, you know, I and mean, I can think of, of all that like we had in, a, in, in part, we had like a, um, we had a seal room where some children would come or would drop in in the morning before school and after school and at playtime. And we'd have those, you know, pockets of time in the day when we'd know that we'd see these particular children. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if all Stephanie schools have the facilities or the time to do that with the numbers of children. Yes, SEAL is an acronym, isn't it? It was, if I'm right, self-esteem accelerates learning. No. Oh, well, that's it. Well, I always thought it was SEAL, as in the SEAL, um, you know, social and emotional aspects of oh, learning. Oh, right. I, social oh, and emotional. interesting. But because, but, but, of course, when I joined um, Part 4, it was, it was already in place. So it might be that it, 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 it yes. was that. But when I, when I joined, I thought it was... Well, both are good, aren't they? <laughs> Self-esteem. Yeah, it was really yeah. talking about psychological safety and getting that bedrock in there. But, but great talking about your work with challenging children, but you've had challenging times, haven't you? And, and I think psychological safety probably was missing at some times for you in your teaching career. And it's, it's interesting that you've done an amazing piece of work around equality. And it's great. You know what? What spurred you into that? Well, I think that was being in the right place at the right time, and, and it, it's you know, I, I would put you in that in in that category, really, Hazel. You, you were the person that you know enabled me to do that work, and Parkville was exactly the right school to to create No Outsiders um, because I, it wasn't created before I went to Parkfield. It was called something else, and I had a very different focus. But um, you know. I, I I can remember, you know, when I had my interview with you and I, and I said, you know, and I mentioned it, you know, I mentioned my plans for now outsiders and here's what I wanted to, you know, here's what I wanted to explore. I can remember you saying, well, you know, that's not the, um, the job I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm appointing, but I'm interested in that and I think we can work together. Yeah. And I think, well, that's, that was, that's, that's good because you were, you were showing that you were, that you weren't going to turn this away. You know, and that you're, you, and I like, I like, and I can remember you saying, I, I think we can work together on this. And that was really important as well, that it was something that we were going to do together. You know, it wasn't just me. Um, you know, you wanted to be part of it and the school wanted to be part of it too. And so um, I think, I think that, that, that was why it worked really. Yes, it was a tremendous opportunity. And the way, what I loved about it is that you were approaching the Equality Act through books for children absolutely and it was those the books that you choose and you still choose them now are so inspirational my grandchildren have got them in their bookcases in their bedrooms and and they are just amazing what made you choose the medium yeah. of books why didn't we just talk to children yeah uh well i, I can remember you know I, i'm from the uh, generation of teachers that had seal uh, you know seal was a very quite a cumbersome uh, box of pamphlets and lesson plans about 
self-esteem um but it was quite cumbersome and it was, I don't think it was very accessible and I can remember like lesson plans that said like talk about pride or talk about being lonely and I wanted a resource I wanted a something that I could you know physically use um so I always loved uh picture books and before No Outsiders I had a emotional literacy scheme of work that, uh, that I um uh, wrote all based on picture books and feelings um and really No Outsiders was I was able to bring everything together and sort of give it a, a point and a focus you know using books to talk about equality and recognizing that you know many teachers felt unsure about how to approach these subjects so we use a picture book with a character and a story so that we talk about the character and not about ourselves and it's all based on you know the character and their situation which makes it non-threatening and makes it accessible and also and the other reason is because I when I came to Parkfield my aim was always to work with the community and with parents on this um, and I had this I had this this um, image in my head of having parents meetings where I could literally have all the books out and show them here's how we're going to do it there's no hidden agenda here there's no like you know secrets lesson plans I can literally show you the books we're going to use in your child's year group these are ones for year four these are the ones for year two you know and we did that um you know and it just worked brilliantly because I can remember a mum saying you know I can remember her saying after seeing the books I felt quite relieved and that's exactly what happened you know the books make this work non-threatening accessible that's what it's about. it was. I, I was part of, of some of that, wasn't it? And those conversations with parents were amazing across all our four schools in the mat. Some fabulous stuff. And now I remember you saying to me the other week, oh, I'm just going to be doing a Zoom call to was, was it? Where was it? It was, was it in Europe. Uh, well, yesterday, uh, on Monday, was it yesterday? It was yesterday. I did a, I did a, a global conference. Um, I think it was based in Dubai. Uh, but um, yeah, that was like an hour. I did a 45 minute talk. And um, yes, it was about no outsiders. And there were questions coming in. He told me afterwards, the facilitator said, from Dubai, Spain, and from the UK. Um, you know, so people are, um, are, are up for this and are looking for you know, ways to do it. I had last week, I had a meeting with a school in Rome around the corner from the Vatican uh, and they want to do No Outsiders. They were saying, they were asking about, about obviously they have a, 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 a parents of Catholic faith and they're saying, how do you, how do you engage with your parents on this? How do you bring them along with you? So I was able to talk about how we did that, you know, and uh, they've booked an inset for the middle of April. Um, so, you know, I, I, I see this being, this confidence being repeated around the world really um, because it's so simple, isn't it? You have picture books, you have a, a scheme of work. It's a, it's a, a spiral curriculum that builds and builds. It starts off very simply. We all play together, but it ends up in year six, you know, being, you know, about citizenship and, 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 and British values and, you know, and uh, and it builds and it, uh, and it uses accessible books. It's accessible. It's a, a real pick up and go resource. It is, and it, it fits well with the um, one of our aims for our, our trust is that we want to 
um, enable our children to be amazing global citizens of the future. And to be a global citizen, you've got to be able to get on with everybody, haven't you? If you're going to get out there and get our world running, we're all there, we're all different, and you've got to be able to mix and talk and, and manage your emotions and, and all the differences. And I think this is a you know, real central part for us. And it fits well, doesn't it, into the personal development of Ofsted, that they, they pop around now, don't they, in and out of our schools, little jolly people. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we welcome them, really, because it gives a great overview of how well we're doing. But it, um, yeah. and really, they now just come in and they're going to look at that personal development, aren't they? And, and, and it's right yes. in there. That's, do you think, what do you think about them putting it in their inspection? I'm really, really pleased that it's in there. I think I think it's it's needed, mm. and it's about recognizing, you know, what is education for. Um, and this is actually what I'm doing a, a PhD about exactly this at the moment. And my, and, the, and my I'm exploring what is citizenship, um, you know, and where does it fit in education? You know, what is the purpose of education today? And can you? What is a good citizen? And can you create a good citizen? But you know, who decides what a good citizen is? But, um, you know, if you look at what happened only this week in the news, uh, we had uh, riots and, and police were hurt, weren't they? You know, in I think it was in yeah. Bristol. Um, you know, you've got hate crime, you know, uh, on the rise across the UK, the rise of the far right across Europe. So what are we doing about that in education? You know, we, we have to be confident about how are we forming world citizenship in the future? Or are we just saying, well, it's nothing to do with us? We have the children in our, you know, in our schools who are looking for answers about the world around them and exploring, you know, ideas and, and are worried about what they see on the news and what they hear in conversations. So, so this is our opportunity to, to give children confidence in their, their belonging in the world and their place in the world. Absolutely. And I feel that you probably debate that at some depth with those young teachers or te people new to the profession of teaching, because you work with universities, don't you? And University of Birmingham, am I right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, so that's where I've been How do you meet, uh, what, what's their view when, when you're meeting them about global citizenship and that? Is it, is it a huge challenge to them or do they, do they take it on the chin really well and just get in there? How do they manage? I think more and more uh, young teachers, uh, student teachers are looking for ways to teach this and they recognise how important it is. But also, uh, or more importantly, the, the teacher training students are looking for ways to teach this. You know, a few years ago, I very rarely went into universities to do no outsiders training. But now, so far this year, I've, I've been to six universities, you know, since mm -hmm. the start of 2021, you know, um, and I have more you know, booked up over, over, next, over the next term. Teachers are seeing you know, their, their, their role as, you know, it's about education being this broader sense of, of education, about you know, the, the whole child and about, you know, it, it, it is about citizenship. Um, because obviously, of course, you know, education and knowing your, you know, um, your, your, your maths and literacy is all part of that. It's about being, you know, being able to contribute, being able to contribute to society. You know, but what is society you're contributing to? You know, it's all part of the same model, isn't it? It's not separate. Yes, it's all the same model. What, what would a teacher do if they felt that they were being challenged by students or pupils in the classroom and it was getting personal? 
what would be that like? Because I bet that could happen. So I think that's very, you need to have a, a, a whole school ethos. Uh, so I do get a lot of messages uh, and emails from people, from teachers asking exactly this and asking, what do I say? You know, how, how, what would you say to, to this child? Uh, particularly talking about sexuality or, you know, transgender, you know, um, um, awareness. Um, and it's, and I say to people that, you know, and I actually, I say this to the students, actually, when, when I do student um, talks, the students always end up incredibly enthusiastic and, you know, and I can see in the, especially in the chats, you know, cause obviously it's all online now, you know, they're saying, and I want to get stuck. In, I want to get stuck in. And I always have to end by saying, right, it's great that you're enthusiastic, but please do not go into school tomorrow and do a night outsiders lesson. You know, um, you, it's got to be as part of a whole school ethos, because if it's just you doing it, well, number one, you haven't involved the parents and the school hasn't, but number two, you're, you're vulnerable. And children would have see it as, well, that person thinks this, but that teacher doesn't think that, you know, and we've got to do it together. It can't just be one teacher doing it. So the answer to your question really um, is you've got to rely on your school ethos, which then begs the question, is there one? I think that's a good place for us to leave it. We can't go into the ethos of every school, but it's key. And one of the values that we have in our trust that goes through all our schools is succeeding together. And the phrase we attach is, alone you're good, together we're amazing. And I think that backs up exactly what you've said there. Andy, that's been amazing. I've really enjoyed chat. I could talk with you for, for hours. You're a great guy. And I think in half an hour, you're back into class, am I right? I think so, yes, yes. I've got 10 minutes and it's decimal this afternoon, so oh, let's get going. Well, good luck. Get your point in the right place. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Good to have you here. Excellent. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.